This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from the state capitol, that place where good ideas go to die. Our top stories today, the Florida legislature's idea of stopping school shooters by putting guns in the hands of teachers is going over like a lead balloon out there in the real world. If you've ever wondered why the legislature finds it so easy to ignore the poor, this may explain some of that. More than 40% of the folks making laws in the Sunshine State are millionaires. Looks like we're going to have another fight over swimming pools in the legislature. A Clearwater lawmaker wants to pass a new bill requiring additional safety measures to prevent kids from drowning. And the third debate between the Democrats running for president takes place tomorrow night, but it will not be the clown car full of candidates we saw during the first two. We'll talk with pollster and political guru Steve Vancor about the changes this time around. Now the news. The Florida legislature's plan to arm teachers serve as a first line of defense against school shootings? Well, it appears to have misfired. The Wall Street Journal reporting that only seven of the 67 county school districts in Florida have approved or say they will even consider the plan that allows arming of teachers. Now, these are all rural counties that really don't have many school kids. We're talking Bay, Gilchrist, Lafayette, or Lafayette, depending on how you like, Levy, Okeechobee, Putnam, and Suwannee. Now, none of the larger counties in Florida have agreed to arm their teachers, and frankly, they made that clear to the legislature long before the law was approved. If you've ever wondered why the Florida legislature seems so determined to cut taxes for the wealthy and has trouble scrounging up any empathy for poor folk, this may explain it. Turns out more than 40% of the lawmakers who serve in Tallahassee are millionaires, including 27 in the Senate, 43 in the House of Representatives. News Service of Florida crunched the numbers and found the average state senator is worth almost $6 million, while the average representative worth almost $2 million. Senator George Gaynor of Panama City owns a number of auto dealerships across North Florida. He's the richest member of the legislature, net worth more than $46 million. Number two on that list, Representative Ralph Masulo, a dermatologist from Lakanto with a net worth of 42 million buckaroos. Now, of course, those numbers make all the headlines, but Steve Vancor is here, and he's here to tell us that we're focusing on the wrong thing. Steve, well, what's going on? Thanks, Rick. I appreciate it. The uh, It's interesting. As a pollster, right, I, I, I get frustrated sometimes when all anybody looks at is who's ahead, who's behind. Let's remember the reason why we have these public disclosures. A, is somebody profiting off the system? Did they come in worth a million dollars? Are they now worth $5 million because they voted to pass things that inured to their direct benefit? We don't see any coverage of that. Secondly, when you see these lists, where they're getting their money from, let's you used you mentioned George Gaynor. Is Mr. Gaynor or Senator Gaynor using his position to further the the uh, feather the nest, as it were, of car dealers? It doesn't appear that way. But that's the more important coverage there, not who's rich, who's not rich. And one other minor beef with it: what you hear a lot is millionaire, millionaire, millionaire. You know, in this day and age, we got we got to come up with a new term because you could have a decent house in the suburbs and have been a decent Decent saver, putting money in your 401k, even have a pension fund, and you're a millionaire if you're at the age of 60 or better. So there's some wealthy folks there, make no mistake about it. But at some level, I like to see the reporting and the coverage, and we'll do some of that as to why are they this wealthy? What are they voting on? Is there any conflicts of interest? Do you have a theory as to why this is not being explored the way? Well, as, as, as you know, Rick, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't the want Capitol to say it. press I corps is a little you. leaner than it used to be. But no, but it's like it's been forever. It's the easy money. It's the easy shot to just go, oh, who's here? Who's up? Who's down? And that gets the clicks, right? Who's Oh, we got a lot of millionaires. Easy story. Easy headline, get a lot of readers. Yeah. And you know, as a reporter, I would point out, we don't have the staff to do this anymore, virtually anywhere. And you really have to break down the individual accounts, the individual lawmakers, to see what they're doing. That's the only way that law makes sense. 
and we don't do it. Opposition research does. No, and campaigns are the ones, and that's what a, yeah. a really a good use of this is. I remember a story from Broward County where a person was a funeral home director and was pushing for all these all this relief for funeral homes. That's where that person got their wealth. This public kind of public disclosure shines a light on that and hopefully prevents people from acting in, inappropriately. Gotcha. Thanks, Steve. And we'll be back with Steve later on to talk about the uh, upcoming Democratic debate. Stay tuned to that right here on Sunrise. In other news, after failing to pass the bill during the 2019 session, Senator Ed Hooper of Clearwater has refiled his residential swimming pool safety bill for the 2020 legislative session. It's called the Cason's Cause Act. It's in honor of a two-year-old boy who drowned in his family's swimming pool. Now, under the current Florida law, a swimming pool has to possess at least one of five specified pool safety features to pass inspection. Hooper's bill requires two of those five safety features to pass an inspection. The bill actually was approved by two Senate committees earlier this year. There wasn't a single vote against it, but it died in the Rules Committee. (laughs) Nothing new there. Uh, The State Health Department says drowning, by the way, is the leading cause of death nationally in children between the ages of one and four. So if you're wondering why people are talking about pool safety, there you go. Now, on Tuesday's edition of Sunrise, you heard from Governor Ron DeSantis, who said it's the responsibility of the feds, not the state of Florida, to help residents of the Bahamas in the aftermath of Hurricane Dorian. But now the governor says he welcomes Bahamians to Florida, just so long as they have passports, visas, and a place to stay, because there are no shelters for them. The governor's comments the latest in a growing debate about how Florida and the U.S. government should treat Bahamian refugees. The next debate between the Democrats running for president takes place tomorrow night at Texas Southern University in Houston. ABC News will host in partnership with Univision, runs for three hours from 8 to 11 Eastern Time. Now, this will be the third debate by the Dems, but there will be some major differences this time around because the herd has been culled. Joining us now to preview that debate, Steve Vancor. And I have a wonderful bio of you here, Steve. <laughs> listen, listen to that. You'll love this. Over 30 years experience conducting research into voters and voter behavior. 30 years wasted life. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Oh, no, no. The first campaign I worked on was against Dempsey Barron. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Dempsey was one of the old-time pork choppers, the guys who ruled the roost in the Senate back when the urban districts were split and the rural folks ruled the roost. Been a long time since Dempsey. Yes, it has. It is. So what have we got coming up? We've got uh, fewer candidates, more time. I love the fact that the DNC was the one who set the rules, and, and the rules clearly, people aren't aware of this, the rules clearly inure to the benefit of the DNC. You know, so. this is, well, they, they told the candidates, in order to qualify, you have to meet uh, a certain criteria, 2% or more, in four consecutive DNC-approved polls, right? So right. that makes sense. Is the public like you? Because if you're not even uh, well relative to the public, you're going to get you get kicked off, kicked off the island. But they also threw in you have to have a certain number of donors. This was the Tom Steyer concern. Tom right. Steyer gets in, billionaire throws in his own money. So ironically, Tom Steyer makes the numeric requirement, which is 130,000 individual donors plus a floor of 400 individual donors from 20 different states. What does that really mean? It means that these candidates had to run around like lunatics for the last two weeks trying to gin up donors. uh, The New York Times reported that one candidate spent $70 per dollar raise. That, you didn't get that wrong. $70 per dollar raise yeah. just to meet this criteria. So what does that mean? One of these folks will emerge. 19 of them will be kicked off the island, but 19 will have generated 
millions and millions of donors for the DNC. Brilliant move by the DNC. I'm not sure if it's good public policy. Wow, self-funding with their own candidates. That's exactly right. So everybody's had to get out there and do their email marketing campaigns, buy lists, mail lists, uh, digital campaigns to these folks. And they've been doing it. And it's actually not a bad idea because once somebody donates to a Democratic candidate, they're likely going to be a Democratic candidate for life. So I found that interesting. Another interesting thing is the way they order the candidates is much like in the Olympics, right? The best swimmers go to the center of the pool. The best polled candidates will be in the center. So dead center, Joe Biden to his right, well, to his left, I should say, <laughs> Bernie Sanders, and to his other left is Elizabeth Warren, yeah. right? So yeah. you're going to get a lot of camera time with Joe Biden, uh, Elizabeth Warren, and, uh, and and Bernie Sanders, which is going to be interesting. All of them are above 70. They're going to be up there for three grueling hours. And I'm going to be curious as to see what's the feedback going to be after the fact. Wow. As someone who's just turned 62, I cannot imagine standing for three hours under the hot TV lights dealing with that sort of nonsense. And, you know, none of them slept. I mean, they're, they're practicing hard. This is, a, it, it is a big one. Like you said, it's no longer a double clown car, right? This is the Univision debate, 10, uh, 10 candidates, only 10 candidates. Remember when the Republicans had nine people were freaking out? Well, it's 10 people. they got to stand up there. they got to look good. They can't make any mistakes for three consecutive hours. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be grueling. Uh, people wanting to know what's going on, what's, what, what is the thing to watch for. Now, as we see from the polls, Bernie Sanders has been stuck in the teens since day one. He's kind of like the woman you asked to the prom last year. She said no, but you're not so interested this year. He's not really catching fire. Plus, there's a bunch of counterculture candidates up there with him, right? Elizabeth Warren has gone from single digits to double digits, and she's closing in on Joe Biden. So Joe Biden started this high 20s, early 30s. He hasn't moved a bit. My my hunch is they're going to go after Elizabeth Warren because everybody's now vying for second place. Yeah, and she has been sort of making the move, and you have to you know, tamp that down before she starts running away. Yeah, because Joe doesn't seem to be Joe Biden doesn't seem to be moving. No matter what you do, he took a little bit of a dip after Kamala Harris hit him pretty well. Uh, he recovered from that. He had a few gaffes. He dips. He comes back up. He's just a likable guy. He's experienced. He knows how to relate to people. And he's been around the block a long, long time since the early 70s. But Elizabeth Warren, I think her stock is rising. And uh, she's the one to watch on this debate. Is there anyone in particular you're going to really miss at this debate? Someone who you saw before and thought, that's interesting, but didn't make the cut. No, not at all. Uh, this is a good group. I've been really interested in watching Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden. I think they're the two front runners. Uh, they're, they're the least shrill. I mean, I'm not saying she's not to the left, but she's not as shrill about it. And she's a nice person. And the, and the public seems to connect with that. When you know the memes about a candidate say that she's too nice, that's a good thing, right? The memes about you know, Bernie Sanders, he's too old, he's too wacky. The memes about Joe Biden are that he's, you know, has these gaffes. The memes about her are what? You know, Pocahontas she uses her blinker. One. Well, that Pocahontas, yeah. but she uses her blinker all the time. She always pays her bills on time. She's the one who will push the button for you in the elevator. Those are the, the jokey memes about her. She's, so she's, I think she's the one to watch. I think she can also outwonk just about anyone else on the campaign. No doubt about it. From her position papers. No it's doubt like, about That must be driving the opposition research crazy because they're trying to figure out what she's going. It's like, there's my plan. It's 400 pages. Right, exactly. And you would think Joe Biden would be the one who owned that because he's been in government so long, but he seems to be more of the aw shucks kind of guy, right? I got you. Now, will you be watching this debate? No. Why not? 
Um, I, I want to understand it more. When I watch it personally, I get it filtered through what Steve likes, and I don't want to know what Steve likes. So what I do is I look at the social media. How is social media reacting first? Second, how is the network news reacting? What are they saying? What are they calling it? And then you watch the cable the cable news. How do they spin this out? That's how you can see uh, what the impact of these debates are. Usually two or three days out, that's when the impact starts to be known. The overnight polls, are don't watch those. Don't look at those. Wait to the t- polls that come out two or three days later to see who won, who lost from these debates. So would you recommend folks just sort of find something else that binge night. watch whatever it is you like to binge watch three hours i you know listen i don't want to be the guy who says don't watch our presidential debates there's plenty of ways to learn about where people stand i just don't think this format is it yeah i got gotcha. you well shall we move on thank sure. you very much and by the way steve will be a regular feature here on sunrise we're going to try and get him in two days a week if, as his schedule allows because by golly he's just fun to play with <laughs> Coming up today in Florida politics, we've got a long list of things. And let's start off with the Florida Association of Professional Lobbyists. They're holding a three-day conference starting at 1 o'clock at the Renaissance Orlando in SeaWorld. Now, the highlight of today's meeting will be at 4 when Senate President Bill Galvano delivers a one-hour keynote address called Leadership, Why It Matters. Now, why anyone in the Florida legislature would be allowed to give a speech with that title is beyond me. But the real fun will be Thursday morning when Peter Shorsch of Florida Politics and Matt Dixon of Politico Florida deliver what's described as an irreverent preview of the 2020 legislative session and election cycle. Uh, see, also coming up today, State Representative Tina Polsky, a Democrat from Boca, and Representative Mike Caruso, a Republican from Delray Beach, will address the Gold Coast Tiger Bay Club, that's at 1130 this morning, at the City Fish Market in Boca Raton. I love that. The city fish market. What a great place for political speeches. Plenty of ammo. The Palm Beach County Legislative Delegation meets today to elect a chair and a vice chair and hold a public hearing as it approaches the 2020 session. That starts at 1 o'clock in West Palm Beach. And in Washington, U.S. Representatives Joe Cunningham, Kathy Castor, and Francis Rooney will hold a press conference this afternoon shortly before the House votes on bipartisan legislation that bans offshore drilling off the Pacific, the Atlantic, and the Gulf Coast. Now, that pressure's at 3 o'clock at the House Triangle outside the U.S. Capitol. Time now for the continuing adventures of Florida Man, or in this case, the Florida Men. Investigators in Palm Coast say Jawan Davis and Jordan Dunn pulled a gun at the drive-thru of a McDonald's because, well, their food wasn't warm enough. They ordered five burgers, but when the grub arrived, Dunn said it was cold, so they demanded the food be reheated and flashed guns threatening the cashier who called 911 while warming up the burgers. Davis and Dunn were still waiting at the drive-thru when deputies arrived. Inside their car, they found a BB gun, an unloaded handgun, and a small bag of marijuana. Davis told officers he and Dunn were just joking with the McDonald's workers when they flashed their guns. And now, Florida Man has his very own radio stations, including two of the most notorious names in the state's broadcast biz. Florida Man Radio is now on two stations in Orlando. It features Shannon Burke and Bubba the Love Sponge. Now, Bubba's the guy who racked up more than three-quarters of a million dollars worth of FCC fines for indecency when he worked for Clear Channel Radio, now known as iHeartMedia. Shannon's claim to fame is that he spent four months in the Seminole County Jail after shooting his wife's dog back in 2009. The bullet also grazed his wife's head, but they both survived. Now, can you think of anyone more suited to be the official voices of Florida Man? That's it from Tallahassee. I'm Rick Flagg reporting for Florida Politics. Our thanks today to Steve Vancor. He'll be back again soon.